This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today is Paul Anderson. Paul is from Tampa Port Authority. Now, if you've ever driven in the west side of Tampa Bay, you've seen all sorts of signs about Tampa Port and everything else, but I bet, like me, you have no clue what's really happening back there. So tell us, Paul, first of all, welcome. Thank you very much, Deacon Mike. It's a pleasure to be here with you. We're glad to have you here. So what does Tampa Port Authority do? Well, first, I'm going to just say we are officially the Tampa Port Authority, but we have branded ourselves as Port Tampa Bay. And for the simple reason that Port Tampa Bay is an exploding region in population growth and economic development. And so we serve pretty much half the state of Florida with many of the cargoes that we bring in through the port complex. But we are the largest and most diverse port in the state of Florida. We handle a wide variety of cargoes and the portfolio of cargoes that are brought in by ships through the port. We have a huge economic impact on the region, and we have many great partners and stakeholders that help us be a very vibrant port complex that creates jobs, contributes to taxes, and supports the uh, region and community. I'm curious, I was thinking this morning about the mall in Brandon, and I'm curious how many of the products that you can pick up in the mall in Brandon actually come through the port? Do you have any idea? No idea how much would go to the port the mall in Brandon, but I can tell you this. If you drive on I-75 or I-4 275, I jokingly say I'm a soccer dad. My Both my sons are in soccer. We drive all over the state for tournaments. And if you drive in this state, you're seeing the explosion of distribution centers. And virtually every brand you can think of, big box retailer, you look at a farm, you drive a week later, they're grading that farm to be a million square foot distribution center. We have over 350 of those distribution centers within an hour and a half drive right here from Port Tampa Bay. And we service those, many of them, and the largest single product is furniture. If you look around, you'll drive on I-4, you've got a brand new million and a half square foot city furniture, rooms to go, Haverty's. Ashley's, they're all in and around here, and then all of the other big box retailers. So we serve all of those with our container services in the port. When you drive out by Lakeland and parts out east, all you see are these... DCs, we call them, distribution centers. That's where the cargo's coming in. They bring the containers in. They offload into the distribution center. They restack the trucks to go back out to whether it's a Publix or to a Target or to a Walmart, and it could be any one of the major stores that you might visit in the Tampa Bay area. How much of the cargo in the area is transported here by trains versus ship? Well, pretty much what comes in by train for the most part, we get a lot of fuel, a lot of ethanol for the port. And I don't know what that exact number is, but the large majority of your consumer goods and things coming in to the Tampa Bay area are coming in. If it's not coming through the port, believe it or not, it could be coming from Savannah, the port of Savannah. It could be coming from the port of Jacksonville. It's a mix. But the ports, if it's imported into the United States, it's coming in through a port. Can you talk about how many pounds of cargo Yes, come? we have at 
transport Tampa Bay on an annual basis over 35 million tons of cargo comes through the port. That includes, as I mentioned, we're very diversified. That includes automobiles, fuel. We are about 45% of the fuel for the state of Florida arrives in Port Tampa Bay, gets in by ship, goes into a fuel terminal, and then is distributed through a trucking network to over 17 counties. It could be aggregate. It could be materials for mixing fertilizer, the containers I mentioned. So it's a wide variety. We bring in almost all the steel that is used for construction in both road building, buildings, through the Tampa. In fact, we're hosting our 35th annual steel conference next week. We'll have about 400 people from around the world. It's a very diverse mix of different types of cargo. So the economic impact to Tampa Bay is huge, but you can actually put a dollar a sign on that, We right? do. We do an economic impact study. We refresh that every four or five years. It's about $18 billion. We're the largest economic engine or generator in West Central Florida. And in the job impact is about 80,000 jobs that are direct, indirect, and related to the port activities. So that's anything from people working on site to, I would imagine, crews of ships? That's correct. It could be what we call stevedores working the ships, line handlers, the actual maritime jobs. It could be someone running the cranes. It could be the tugboat operator. And then going downstream, like I mentioned, at these distribution centers, those containers go to the distribution center. You have people that are running forklifts. And, and then they truck drivers. We get about 10,000 truck moves a day on average in and out of the port complex. And then all the way down to the retail salesperson at a furniture store. So it's direct, indirect, and related. We are by far the largest generator in, in economic impact. We're talking with Paul Anderson from Port Tampa Bay. What happened during COVID, though? Because everything shut down in COVID, and I'm sure you shut down at the port as well, right? Well. Contrary to your belief of that, I'm proud to tell you that, you know, people needed to continue, particularly during COVID. Can you imagine if you, during COVID, you couldn't count on reliable energy, your air conditioner to be on, to be able to go fuel up your car? People still were driving. So we were deemed essential personnel, all port-related jobs. We maintained 24-7, 365-day operations at the port. We Obviously, like many other businesses, in our administrative functions, we worked from home. But out on the port complex, you had people that had to work those ships. We had to have security, operations. Of course, you're working in a very open environment. Real proud to say that we actually sort of grew through the pandemic. And it's very common sense when you think about it. Think of yourself or anybody that all of a sudden may never have used e-commerce before never ordered anything on Amazon. All of a sudden, you had this huge surge of people that were utilizing that for their everyday needs. So that started increasing the amount of cargo coming through the port, with the exception of cruise passengers. We are the eighth largest cruise port in the, in the nation, and cruise shut down to no operations during the COVID period of time. But we continued to operate, and we did so safely, and we did so for the citizens of our state. Wasn't there a Western state that pretty much shut their ports down? 
I'm trying to think back. And I, I thought- think you're thinking about that there was a logistic supply chain, then there was a strike in the West Coast. Oh, okay. So they, it wasn't related necessarily to COVID, but certainly different states had different, as we all know, very, that gets into the politics of it. Right. But, you know, different states reacted different ways. Florida pretty much remained open, you know, with a father with two kids in the school system. I was very relieved when I had to stop uh, doing at home. I failed miserably at doing that. Was glad that they went back to school. But no, we remained open. Our employees performed in all the related jobs. People doing those continued to work. And we continued to keep the supply chain open for the citizens of our state. I'm just curious. I'm being stupid here. Forgive me for this, but the whole toilet paper thing that was going on, I'm sure you were somehow involved in making sure we all had toilet paper. You no, know, I think that I think that most of that would be domestically produced. So, okay. yeah, that you know, people we people do strange things. Yeah, really. That was one of them. As CEO, what is a typical day for you? Are you stuck in the office all day pushing papers or do you have to pop out on site and check things out? Well, I mean, there's some functionary things that you do as a CEO. You have to sign contracts, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I'm, for the most part, I'm meeting with stakeholders. I'm promoting and advocating for our port, both in Washington, D.C. I currently serve as the chairman of the board of the American Association of Port Authorities. So I'm advocating for federal funding for the growth of ports, deepening ports, expanding infrastructure, freight policy. I also work at the state level. I was in Tallahassee last week. So I'm meeting with customers, with international companies. We are a huge complex, 5,500 acres. Real estate is a significant part of what we do. We're a big real estate company. We have over 200 leases to multinational companies that are conducting operations in the port. So that's a big part of what we do there. There is really no... I don't have groundhog days at the port, let me say that. Another thing we do, we're very involved with charitable organizations. We work with our maritime community. We have a maritime scholarship program with Jefferson High School. So it's really exciting. I like being around organizations that are promoting job creation. We just had the Tampa Bay Organization of Women in Transportation meet at the port this morning it's never the same thing. It never gets boring. You never have a slow day. Well, some days are better than others, but <laughs> no, I personally am very passionate about the maritime industry. I've worked in and around it in leadership roles. It's a great industry. It personifies what has made America a great nation throughout the history of our nation, both from on the military side, but also the commercial side. It's a great industry to be in. The logistics supply chain, they're great job opportunities for any young listeners out there, and I encourage you to uh, consider that as a career. So Port Tampa Bay does a lot of work with goods coming in, but you mentioned before also the cruise industry. This is a very busy cruise port. Talk about that. As we mentioned, pre-pandemic, we were about 1.2 million cruise passengers on an annual basis, we shut down to zero, as all cruise ports did. The good news for us, as I've mentioned, was our diversification. So we continued to actually grow. Cruise is about 20% of our revenue. Post-COVID, though, we've seen a surge in people wanting to do cruises. And we're actually growing. We're back to 1.2 million 
cruise passengers. We just announced a new cruise line. In addition to the cruise line, existing cruise lines, we are the home port for all of our cruises. So that means people are coming to Tampa to get on a cruise ship. And the really good news about that is all the new growth downtown, uh, Water Street, all the new activities, they're coming, the lightning for the bucks, they're coming here. Tampa is now a place to come and visit and then go on a cruise and get off the cruise and spend a day or two. So those are economic impact dollars. But cruise is a big part of who we are and we continue to grow. We just announced a new cruise line, Margaritaville, will be starting in June. It's a brand affiliated with Jimmy Buffett, and we're very excited about that. That will add about 350,000 passengers a year on an annual basis. That's huge. Yes. So talk about Tampa Port for the cruise line versus St. Pete. St. Pete does not have, the channel is not deep enough to handle really any ships of any size. They've got research vessels, they've got some yachts, and it's not necessarily a big a cargo handling facility. So, you know, what we do have on Tampa Bay is Manatee, which is another port, Port Tampa Bay. St. Pete is really doesn't have passenger vessels. We have the Starship, which is really dinner cruises, but here in Tampa as well. We get along great with all of our sister ports around the state. We have a network of ports that serve 22 million citizens in the state and the 140 million visitors that visited last year will probably break that record this year. You were nominated to be on the Federal Maritime Commission. What does that commission do? So the Federal Maritime Commission is a commission very similar to other securities exchange commission that regulates securities and and financial And I was nominated in 2003 to serve on that. It's a presidentially and Senate-appointed and Senate-confirmed position. And it regulates the maritime industry in our nation. Ports, some of the cruise lines, ocean, the Shipping Act, which regulates all ships coming in and out of the U.S. was an outstanding experience. It's a public service position. You go to Washington, and I learned a great deal. It was a, a great part of my career. I did that for almost five years. How ugly was it, though, going through a full Senate confirmation? I can imagine that that would just be the most stressful process ever. Was it that bad? It was actually an incredible experience. I was initially blocked in the Senate. Nothing to do with me, but that's just the way Washington works. And after about five months, I was confirmed. I did. You're talking to one of the few people that can say I was unanimously confirmed by the Senate when I finally did get confirmed. It was an incredible experience. At the time, the chairman of the committee that confirmed me was the Commerce, Science, and Transportation with Senator John McCain. It was a pleasure to go through that experience. I'm proud to uh, have been able to serve in that position for part of my career. We're talking with Paul Anderson from Port Tampa Bay, Tampa Port Authority. Can you talk about some of the environmental protections that take place at the port? I think we can remember a few years ago, this did not happen at the port, but there was sort of a phosphate spill, again, not associated with Port Tampa Bay or anything. But how do you prevent such spills from taking place when you're transporting not so much cargo, but fuel and phosphates? Right. Well, first, it doesn't just fall on the port for the safety and the protection of our environment. Safety is job number one for starting with me at the port and all the people that work with us. 
but it's also believing in protecting the environment that we work within. Without the Bay, we wouldn't be here. That's why Tampa's here. That's why they have such a great metro region here. And the port is here to serve those residents. We have great programs to work with environmental organizations. We have a world-class nesting program. We work with Audubon Society. We have islands in the middle of the bay. Many of you, if you've ever been on the boat, those islands are where the dredge materials are pumped to. But we shut down the dredging during the bird nesting season. It's a great program. We work with Keep Tampa Bay Beautiful and fundraising efforts to help promote the cleanliness and keeping our bay protected for generations to come. So we're here to have a balance. Yes, we are transporting large amounts of fuel, but we do so with the federal, state, and local government authorities all regulating that. And Port Tampa Bay places it as its top priority for the safety and promotion of a clean environment. I've been in a kayak several times down off of Williams Park, 41 and Gibsonton, I guess that is. Gibsonton, yes. A lot of the times when I'm there, I see dolphins and probably manatee too. I can't remember I've seen them there. So it's clear that although you are doing a lot of industrial type work, the waters are still remaining clean. Yeah. And, you know, we do, for example, we are now going to do our fourth year. We started the Great Port Cleanup. And it sounds like when we're cleaning the port that the port made the waters dirty. In reality, there is a lot of trash that gets introduced into the bay, and it ends up a lot coming down the Hillsborough River. It enters into the port. If you've been kayaking in and around the port, there's a lot of mangroves. They work as sort of a filter. We get into those mangroves this past year. We had a 1,000 volunteers, and we cleaned up. I've personally been in those mangroves. There are trash that has been there for 30, 40, 50 years. So we're cleaning those areas up. And it's something we do to help promote sustainability of our water and creating an awareness of how important it is to have as we grow, as we have huge population growth, that we keep our waters clean. Port Tampa Bay, you have so much ship traffic coming through, cruises, freighters, everything else, container ships rather. What about security? How do you prevent disasters that are brought on from somebody with really bad intentions. Yeah, so everybody that's over 25 or 30 remembers 9-11, and it changed the way that our nation protects our critical infrastructure, and a big part of that is our nation's port. So today we are a very secure port complex. We work with federal security agencies, Department of Homeland Security, the Coast Guard. We work with local law enforcement with the Hillsborough Sheriff's Department, Tampa Police Department, and state as well. So it's a multi-layered effort to maintain the security of this critical infrastructure in and around the port. And to get into the port, you have to have background check. You have to have a security ID. It's very similar if you've been to McDill or been to a military base. It's very similar to getting in and out of a military complex. It's a a role that we take very seriously, and we have great partners that help us maintain the security and the safety of our port complex. You have a lot of freight containers coming in. Can you talk about the security to ensure there's no sort of weapons on those containers? Yeah. Uh, So, you know, again, after 9-11, 
our nation went to great lengths. We passed the Maritime Transportation Security Act of 2002, right after 2001, 9-11 attack. And that created a international uh, effort to protect what was coming in by ships into the United States ports, because most ports are right in the middle of a urban city because the city grew up around the port, not the other way around. So there is, with starting with the Department of Homeland Security and a myriad of other federal agencies working in collaboration in uh, multilateral and bilateral agreements with the countries that import into our, we screen cargo, before it goes on ships, there has to be a, a notice before a container's loaded on. Where did it come from? People can go through, uh, companies can go through certification to make sure that their employees are screened and background checked. Gets into the U.S., goes through additional screening by Customs and Border Protection. And the good news is, since 9-11, we have not had an incident. And there's a lot of men and women in our nation who work tirelessly to make sure that the cargo that enters this country is safe. How about the men and women from other nations that are riding the ships? Are they allowed when they reach your port? Are they allowed to get off and just go in and walk the, the river walk? The, the, no, that's a good question. So they are required to stay within the port complex. But it brings up a good point. The mariners who sail aboard these ships, they're from countries around the world. And during COVID, for example, we realized they were prisoners on their ship. They could not go back to their countries because they had not been vaccinated. We started a program that vaccinated those mariners because they couldn't, until they were vaccinated, go back home. We vaccinated over 2,000 mariners that came into our port. Inside the port complex, we actually worked with the University of South Florida's nursing college, and it's turned into now we have a clinic that we're opening inside the port. So you know, something really good came out of, of that episode of COVID. The security part is they are not allowed to leave the port complex. You just reminded me that there is also a chaplaincy program available at the port. There is, and that is one of the two uh, charitable organizations that we raise funds for through several events that we do at the port, a golf tournament, a fishing tournament, and a gala every year. And that is the Seafarers Ministries Program. And that program is an international organization of faith-based ministries. We have a chaplain. Ours is Chaplain Steve Finnessy. And they provide a safe haven for these crew members to go when they come up into our port aboard a ship. We actually have a small facility. We have a sundry store. We can give them things they can't get on the ship, resupply them with their personal you know, shampoos, and we provide books and other faith-based support, a safe place for them to go while they're here in the port. I read recently that the Port Authority plans to expand its capacity by four times. So is that as far as acreage goes, or how is that all working out, and why are you expanding? Well, why are we expanding? Florida's expanding. We have explosive growth that's taking place in our population. I think everybody is aware that people want to come to Florida and they're leaving other places to come to our state. And to support that population growth, we need to increase the capacity to supply those 22 million residents, 140 million visitors. And people just, you know, when you go into a Costco and you look up and there's 
pallet stack 30 feet high. You know, not everybody takes time. I wonder where all that's coming from and how it's getting here. Or if you're at a Target or a Walmart and 85% of the products that are coming in are probably coming from other countries. And so we are the gateway for that and we need to grow. The good news is we have a lot of real estate, although we're slowly running out, but we're developing new capacity to serve. We have a vision 2030. That's our guiding business plan, strategic plan to grow the port to serve the next 20, 30, 40 years of the growth that we know is coming to the state of Florida and the central Florida and the I-4 corridor. We're talking with Paul Anderson from Port Tampa Bay. Ten years ago, did Port Tampa Bay expect this explosive growth? Hundreds of thousands from my home state up north have left in the last few years and are moving down to this area. Well, Florida's always been the beneficiary of people coming from other states. They come down for a vacation in the middle of winter, like what's going on right now. Around our nation, people are under severe weather and cold. They come down, they go, this is a really great place, and they end up moving here. But I don't think anybody expected the dynamics that are driving that population growth were not here 10 years ago. But when we went through COVID, we talked about that. I think a lot of people realized that maybe the state they were in, they'd been there a long time. I want to go somewhere where I can have a better choice. They come here for the great business opportunities. It's no secret that Tampa is rated in the top 10 in almost every business magazine of a place to do business, job opportunities, and the growth that we're seeing in education, medicine, logistics, banking, financial. So it's a great place to live. All of this is coming together at a time in our nation where I think people want to come to states like Florida, and we're going to be prepared for that growth and take advantage of it as a port serving our citizens. Okay, so Paul, two quick questions in the minute or two we have left. First, you're wearing a ribbon, it's a blue ribbon, and I'm curious what that stands for. And then can you talk about also hurricane preparedness? Yeah, Deacon Mike, this is something that's uh, personal to me in Human Trafficking Awareness Month was last month in January. I had the privilege of serving on a National Human Trafficking Advisory Committee And it's not that there's a lot of human trafficking coming through our port complex. There isn't. In fact, as far as we know, it's non-existent. However, we have the opportunity to create awareness and help educate key stakeholders, the truck drivers who are at truck stops, cruise passengers. If you see something, do something about it. And that's why we are promoting this as part of what we do. And there's a national effort among airports and ports and transportation companies to create a higher awareness of human trafficking. Good for you, because Tampa Bay is actually a hot spot for human trafficking. That's, that's correct. And that's typically your indentured servants and people that are being taken advantage of by employers that are not reporting or they're not legally employing people. Okay. How about hurricane preparedness? Yeah. So hurricane preparedness and resiliency of the port complex is extremely important to the community and the state. As I've mentioned, we serve almost half the state's fuel comes through this port complex. We have one of the most robust hurricane exercises that we do every May. It includes every agency you can think of. And the idea is we want to be prepared for hurricane preparedness, but also recovery. It's very important that we get open as quickly as possible so that we can get the fuel back out 
to the citizens of the state of Florida after a hurricane event. Our guest today is Paul Anderson from Port Tampa Bay, also known as Tampa Port Authority. And this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash howwesee it. Mm-hmm.